Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven, you are so good to us. And God, we ask now that your Holy Spirit would move among us, open our eyes to the truth, be glorified here in our midst, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to show you a few pictures here. Who's this guy? Is that Jesus? How many of you have grandparents or maybe yourself that have that image in your house? Yes. Yeah. You've all seen it. We're all very familiar with it. And frankly, we tend to think of this image when we think of Jesus. How about the next one? What about this fellow? He was in a movie. What about the next one? And there's the Netflix version. And then the next one. Scientists suggest that this is what Jesus looked like. And you saw that, and your response was what? We tend to get ideas in our own heads about who this Jesus is. And rather than garner those from the Word of God, the hallway picture of somebody's house, and I would suggest to you the thing that we ought to trust in is the Word of God. So with this in mind, I would like to begin a series. Because the real danger here is that we are practicing idolatry in our head. We are worshiping a God that someone else has created outside of the scripture. Perhaps you've watched uh, one of these recent uh, television series, The Chosen. How many of you have seen The Chosen? The danger in that, as much as that is enjoying and it's a good feel and everything, is, is everything in there what the Bible says? Is that the God of the Bible that you watched on TV? Well, we kind of would like to think so, you know. He's so nice. We've got to be wary, my friends. And so in the next uh, few weeks here, what we're going to do is study the Word of God to have a biblical image of who Christ is. I mean, it is Christmas after all. So again, here in John chapter 1, we want to turn to John chapter 1 and we're going to learn the truth. And the truth that John makes clear to us is that Jesus is the pre-incarnate Word. Take a look here in verses 1 to 5. In the beginning. We'll pause there for a note. What is John talking about the beginning? The beginning here that John spoke of here was the time before anything that had come into existence began. See, so before God said, let there be light, before he said... God spoke and brought all of these things into. This is the time that we're talking about. In the beginning was the word. The Greek word there is logos. It is a, a word we find in theology and technology and has to do with the study or the understanding of. 
In the beginning was the word. What word? Are we talking about just an actual word? We're talking about a person here. And this word is a communication whereby the mind finds expression. That's the way words work in our life. Our mind thinks it, and we put together words to express it. And the word is here to express to us who God is. In John chapter 14, too, Jesus would say, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So in the beginning was the Word. Now notice again here in verse 1, and the Word was God. We see that the Word is eternal. Before anything was created, the Word existed. Now all we have to do is jump down to verse 14 and we see exactly who the Word is. It's Jesus. The Word is God. Let us never think less of Jesus than this. He is God. He's not partly God. He's not mostly God. He is God. When you think of Jesus, he's not just the nice man who did a nice thing for so many people. He is God. Correct view in our mind must include the deity of Jesus The Word was not only with God, the Word was God. And He is in the beginning with God. In the beginning, before anything existed, there was God. And you say, I wonder what God did all day long, nothing to play with or go visiting and sightseeing. (laughs) He had perfect, intimate fellowship with Himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The reason we can't do that is just sit still with someone. It's because we are not God. And we are not holy. And we are not, we are selfish. You know the whole, somebody's talking. And that reminds me of something else. Go ahead, finish, finish, finish. Yeah, but you know what I did? (laughs) That's not the perfect fellowship that God had with himself. And he was in the beginning with God. Note the description of the word being with God. This demonstrates that the word, the second person of the Trinity, is distinct from the Father. Now, friends, we will die trying to fully comprehend the Trinity, but we must acknowledge what the word of God says about Jesus, the second person. He is God, but he is separate and distinct than the Father. And yet there is one God. See what I'm talking about there? The Bible says it. doesn't expect that we can comprehend it, but we must most certainly know it. And so Jesus is the pre-incarnate. What does that word pre-incarnate mean anyway? It's from the word carne. Anybody ever had chili con carne? What does that mean? It means chili with flesh. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. He added humanity to himself. And so, friends, we see that the word is eternal. The word is actually God. And the words we see here in verse 3, the words pre-incarnate work. What was Jesus up to before creation? Well, we see in verse 3, all things were made through him and without him 
was not anything made that was made. So you go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, and you see that God spoke. You're thinking the Father in your head, but John tells us that Jesus was a part of that. The Creator God. That's a higher view of Jesus than perhaps we've had in the past. But let the Word of God lead us in this. His pre-incarnate work. We notice here in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. In other words, Jesus is the very source of life. Life is given from him. Now, in this particular passage, you have to put your Greek glasses on and pull back the curtain a bit. And you notice that the word life there is connected to the word zoe, which tends to be relating to spiritual life, life with God. There's another word of bios, where we get biology having to do with physical life. And it is, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. And as we know, the light's purpose is to dispel darkness. The light's purpose is to dispel darkness. We don't turn on a light in the light time. We don't do it. What do we need a light for if we got plenty of light? The light is to drive out the darkness, my friend. In verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's not difficult to understand that the darkness here being represented is sin. Is sin. Jesus came into this world as a light. And you've had this experience, as have I, sometimes the light hurts our eyes and causes us to turn away. It happened numerous times through the New Testament. Jesus was shining the light, and people hated the light. Yeah, he turned away. The downside of this, of course, is we live in a world marked by sin. And while we follow the one who is light, our eyes still adjust to the darkness. You know what that's like? Get up in the middle of the night, anybody? Is it just me? Should we start calling each other? Yeah. Easy to see uh, where I'm going in the darkness. My eyes have been closed. Coming back, I've stepped on a dog or two and other things that were in the way that I just couldn't see. But if we wait long enough in the darkness, our eyes adjust. And that's what we need to fight away from. That the darkness does not permeate our minds and our hearts. And we begin to see life through that lens as opposed to the light of holiness, the light of Jesus. So, friends, Jesus is the pre-incarnate Word. And the Word's pre-incarnate work here has something to do with creation. The Word is self-existent. In Him is the life. He doesn't need anyone to give it to Him. And the witness of the word we read about in verses 6 to 14. You see, when Jesus became flesh, the Lord chose someone to go before him, a forerunner. Look at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. You and I know him as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And my friends, we notice that John was sent 
from God to go before. And he was sent to be a witness about Jesus. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. The goal of his witness, his testimony, what is witness to tell what you know? And John went ahead and pointed to Jesus. You may recall, and you can scoot down to verse 29, where John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was the witness. And he was sent to be a witness about Jesus. He was not the light, that's John, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. But you know what? Some rejected him anyway. Look at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Some rejected Jesus, tragically. They felt threatened by his abilities, his miracle working, the size of his crowds, and they hated him. They hated him. But some put their faith in him. Look at verse 12. Very important. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. You will notice how he responded. The believer responded to Jesus. But to all who did receive him. Now that word receive opens up a lot. What do we mean by that? So John clarifies precisely what he means following who believed in his name the only place where the scriptures talk about receiving Jesus and where you hear that in Christian conversation oh when did you receive Jesus but the issue my friends is faith faith believing in his name and he and he gave them the right to become children of God and you will note, my friends, this salvation is the work of God and not man. It is the work of God and not man. Look at what he says here in verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And John will highlight that numerous times throughout this gospel. No one can come to the Father unless he draws them. Very important truths. And so the witness, some rejected, some put their faith in Jesus. And here we are in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, it's Jesus we're talking about. Who else added humanity to himself? As we mentioned early on, Jesus was not part God and part man. He was completely and wholly God who added to himself humanity. And why did he do it? Because he also came as a witness, thus the nature of the word, to communicate to the world 
who God is, what true righteousness looks like, and what we must do to be saved. It has something to do with belief, putting our trust in him. And so the word became flesh. In other words, he added humanity to himself. And look at that word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is an interesting word that can mean pitched his tent. I really like the visual of that because that is the picture of the nation of Israel and God in their midst in the tabernacle. You know what a tabernacle is? It's a tent. And so here is the Lord Jesus tabernacling with us. He added humanity to himself. He pitched his tent among us and revealed his glory. And as we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth, God added humanity to himself. God showed us his glory. He offered us grace and truth, and he literally tabernacled among us. Remember, remember, his desire has always been to tabernacle with you. From the very beginning in the garden, the Lord walked with them in the cool of the evening. The intent of God's creation of man is that he might have a relationship with them. But as so many have done, Adam and Eve chose a different path. Yeah, but the fruit, it looks so good. I mean, it's just a bite, right? I mean, just we're going to take brings. And they lost everything. Sin brings death. And they were driven from the garden. And the intimate, intimate fellowship they had with God was gone. Because sin will do that. It destroys lives and marriages, friendships. Sin will do such a thing. Hmm. So Jesus is God. Is that the way you think of Jesus? That he is the creator God? Or still that nice man with a nice smile. So clean cut, friendly sort of chap. He is God. And friends, we ought to think rightly about God, which is why we study the word of God that we might know the truth. He is God. And he came to dwell, to dwell among us. The whole point is that he came that we might have a relationship with him. Do you have a relationship with him? You will note, I didn't ask, when you were in junior high, did you respond to the call of the youth pastor to go up and pray that prayer? It's not what I said. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith? If somebody spied out your life for a month, would they be able to come up with enough evidence to prove it? Would you? Jesus came, not just that we could decorate 
and have fun gift exchanges. It came that we might have life and life abundantly. So Jesus is God and he added humanity to himself in order to reveal God and offer us his grace. The only responsible thing to do here, my friends, is to respond to what God has done by faith. Trust, dependence, full dependence on what he has done for us. And so, friends, this Christmas season, let's worship him. Not just the story, my friends. Christmas is about the incarnation of the Son of God. If that is not an act of love, I don't know what is. He left the glories of heaven to be insulted. Accusations that were false. Surrounded by people daily who wanted him nothing but dead. And he did it for you. He did it for you. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are one of the reasons that he came. And so worship him. Celebrate his great love this season. Not just the Christmas story, but understand the Christmas story. The great act of love that he would come and add humanity to himself that he experienced suffering and ultimately death, but also the humiliation of birth. Imagine the very God of very God walking around in a body. Incredible. To worship him, worship him. Ask yourself throughout the season, is the Lord being worshiped through this house, this home, this person? and obey his words. He's God. They're not gentle suggestions, unlike the Old Testament where they really mean it. Obey him. He is God. And then finally, I want you to walk up to somebody that you barely know and ask him this question. If you were to die today, do you know that if you would go to heaven? Or you can ask a different question. Has anyone taken a Bible and shown you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? No? May I? If a nine-year-old can do it, friends, so can you. And what better time to talk to people about Jesus than Christmas time? The Word, the Creator God, took on flesh in order to dwell with us. Don't miss out on that this Christmas season, not today. And speak up a little bit about this Jesus. You never know what God will do. Amen, Susie? Amen. And we are grateful that nine-year-old boy asked you that question, as I'm sure you did. Well, let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are so good to us. Help us to think rightly about you. 
Help us that we would be led by the truth of your word and by the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Oh, keep us from imagination idolatry. That we would think only right thoughts about you for your glory, that we might not cheat you of your glory, saying that you are something that you are not. Oh, help us, God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.